wanna see pom poms from the stands. Come on, come on. My fingertips and my lips, they burn from the cigarettes. Forest cup, you run my mind, boy. Running on my mind, boy. Forest cup, I know you forest. I know you wouldn't hurt a beetle, but you're so buff and so strong. And welcome to this week's episode of the Hammer Time Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Hammerman. Every week, we're here with you talking about sports, society, and stuff. You can go on Playmaker Mentality. The radio is still there, and so is my podcast with a playlist of every single episode. You can also go on iTunes, download, rate, share, do what you want. We have a really, really good guest tonight. I'm very excited. One of the more elusive, well-known members, elusive yet well-known, I guess, members of Draft Twitter. The one, the only Eric Stoner is here with us. Eric, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, man. I uh, I just finished wrapping up doing the uh, our latest episode of the Keep Chopping Wood, the Jaguars podcast that I host. So uh, just knocking out some pods tonight. Yeah, tonight is, is pod night for Eric. And um, you're doing a lot of stuff, though, because you're also on Sully's podcast a lot now. And I've seen your mailbags on the site that you're posting. So you're doing a ton right now. Yeah, I've been uh, I've had the itch lately to do some stuff. So uh, I started up BigBoard.com, just a place where like, cause uh, I mean I, I've always gotten tweets off, but like I didn't really like sometimes there's things that you want to write about that are like a little bit long or just making content in general that's uh you need a different medium for it. So I uh, I went and registered the domain and everything, just started up a little blog. And I definitely recommend people read all the articles that Eric writes because there's no one better, at least that I've seen, at explaining things really well in terms of scouting. Eric is very good at just laying things out and making anyone understand why a play worked or why it didn't or why a player is good or why he's not. So I definitely think that's something that I appreciate a lot about the way you write, which is great. Thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. So It's fun to, it's fun to be doing it again. Yeah, I, I definitely, like, I like that I'm writing a little bit more, too, and I love doing this podcast because it's cool just to talk to people, and I've been lucky to have some great guests on the show and just shoot the shit and just let people say what they want to say, and I don't know, I just, I, I just like, I like making content, it's fun to do, for sure, it keeps me sane. And we're going to get to that a little bit more later, but we're going to start with sports. We are four weeks into the NFL season, and... You know, sometimes people say that you need a little bit more time to get to know some of these teams. And, of course, there are always cases where, like, the Atlanta Falcons last year started off really, really well and then ended up faltering, really sliding back. But I still think that you can make some decisions based on what you're seeing, the stats that you're pulling, on which players are good, which players are bad, and which teams could over and underachieve. So... We're going to go division by division. We're going to talk about some teams, some players, just some things that we're seeing for everyone. And we're going to start with the AFC East. We'll go AFC to NFC, I guess. That's the way that we normally go. And over on the AFC East, um, I think the big thing for me is 3-1 was where I thought the Patriots would be without Brady. 
I did not expect Garoppolo to play as well as he did. I was joking with Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders last night. And again, I fully recommend that if you don't have Football Outsiders premium charting stats, it's 25 bucks, and you're getting legitimate cornerback charting stats, which are from the best in the business, great play-action stats. You're getting some really amazing information, and they do great work over there. So I recommend that you uh, take the dive and pay the money because it's a great resource. But the number one quarterback this year, this is a free stat, but it's still great. In terms of DVOA, which is the main measurement metric that Football Outsiders uses to delineate which players are the best at offensive skill positions, the number one quarterback this year through four weeks was Jimmy Garoppolo. He was 43% better than the average quarterback, given his strength of schedule. And that was something that completely shocked me, but... When I actually watched him play, I mean, we only saw him, unfortunately, for like a game and a half. He looked really, really good at that game and a half, and I think he's going to end up making a lot of money somewhere. I I really don't think the Patriots keep him. I think he's going to end up getting traded somewhere. Um, otherwise, in the AFC East, is there anyone who jumped out to you as being uh, playing really well or playing really badly? Uh, not really. This – and uh, I did division preview podcast with uh, with Sully for his I Hate Sully podcast, and talking about the AFC East, like this division is already starting to unfold pretty much exactly like how I thought it would. Um, I mean, I I had no faith in Miami even with Gase. I think Tannehill is what he is, and that's what you're seeing. And like you uh, you see the the guys like Sue and Mario Williams engaged like early in the season. Uh, and you saw that with their defensive line playing relatively well early in the season. But, like, once those guys get disengaged, like, this team's going to – Miami's going to collapse down the stretch. The Jets, you, everybody saw that regression coming. I don't think anyone pegged them to improve. They didn't do anything to improve. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick coming back down to earth. Like, all the, the Jets season this – divi- this whole division, how it's gone, has is, is been very, very predictable. But where I felt like I was right, like, a lot of people were off on Buffalo. And I said, Buffalo is not a good team. Like, people expected them to implode. And I think that everybody was a little bit rough on them just for having a rough five days to open the season. Um, that offense is better than people think, even with, with Sammy Watkins out. Like, LaShawn McCoy and Tyrod Taylor are dudes. Like, they might not be consistent, like, play-to-player drive-to-drive or anything, but they're going to – between those two, they can hit enough explosive plays to stay in the game. And, like, I don't know. Rex is limited, and he is what he is, but, like – that I, I I mean I don't think that that team's gonna give up. I think that they're, they're like I said they're not good by any means, but I mean they're at two and two. They're gonna start getting dudes back on the defense, I believe, and they they can be frisky down the stretch. Like I don't think that they're gonna necessarily maintain a five hundred pace, but they're not gonna completely implode like the like the Jets and the Dolphins. Um, as far as the Patriots goes, I did not see Garoppolo play at all. I saw the game where Jacoby Brissett played uh, the third game. And I was I was really really impressed with him, but uh, it's just kind of did anybody not expect the Patriots to like go three and one or four and zero oh over <laughs> over this stretch? Manish Mehta didn't. I'll give you yeah. that much, but he's kind of a hack, so that is what it is. You know. Okay, so I have a question for you. Do you think that they would trade Garoppolo like if Brady comes back and everything's like full systems going, he looks okay. Do you think that they would trade Garoppolo like in the middle of the season? Yeah, before I think they would. I think his value will never be higher than right now. Maybe in the offseason you can carry it over, but I think that 
if the right deal came around, I think if the Bears offered something to them, I think they would take that deal in a second. And the thing with Brissett is that he played pretty well in the third game. I don't blame him for the fourth game. He, he was clearly not 100%, and they did not trust right. him. That was a weird game. But he played fine in the third game, and Bill Parcells loves Jacoby Brissett. Bill Parcells, Jacoby Brissett is his guy. Bill Belichick will do whatever Bill Parcells sells him pretty much. They're really, really close friends. I think Brissett's going to stay on the team for as long as possible. And, I mean, personally, I would love to see Garoppolo have a long career in New England, but it, it just is a really weird circumstance. It's a kind of Brett Farvian circumstance with Aaron Rodgers, and I think that Garoppolo showed more than Aaron Rodgers did before Favre even left. So it's one of those things where we're going to see what happens, but it's definitely a situation that the Patriots have to resolve. Now, one thing, which is a theory of mine, and I think you brought up a really good corollary between Buffalo and Miami, teams in cities where there's no shit to do tend to care more than teams in cities where there's too much shit to do. Having the football team in Miami there's so much other stuff going on that we don't even know about half the time. Like in Buffalo, like where are players going to go like to like a TGI Fridays at like 12 AM. Like in Miami, you can go to any club in the entire city. In New York, you can go literally anywhere you want. I think that when you're a good team, hopefully you have a status in place where it doesn't matter what city you play in. But when you're a bad team and you need to blow off steam, one of those teams is going to blow off steam just being angry looking at a bunch of, like, not-so-attractive people on TGI Fridays until 12 a.m., and the other one is going to be partying until 5 a.m. and destroying nightclubs. Richie Incognito was the best example of this, considering in Miami he was pretty bad, and in Buffalo he's played pretty well. So that's just my personal theory about bad teams in nice cities. No, yeah, I, I mean, I totally get it. and It's just very easy to see how this... I mean, it's not like, and Michael Lombardi talked about this on the, on Bill Simmons' podcast, it's not like Miami has the kind of culture in place to where those guys are going to stay engaged, like, even through a losing season. Like, you can, you can very, very easily see it's a, it's a pretty veteran heavy team, like how, how this could come unhinged fairly quickly for them and everybody just kind of packs in. Because I think you guys, they, there's serious questions in that, in that locker room probably of whether Ryan, Ryan Tannehill is the guy. And part of the thing also, and I've thought about writing something about this, and I might look into a little bit more. I don't know who their glue guy on the team is, the guy who is responsible for everyone, because I know in New England, like, Matt Slater is the heart of that locker room, and he's someone who everyone goes to. He is sort of the person who sets the pace in training, and he and Brady are really the ones who carry the water in that end. And, like, weird teams like Miami – you don't really know who that guy is because Arian Foster, awesome running back and a really nice person, but he's not going to be the guy who's going to be leading your team through sprints every single day. He's not going to be the one who everyone is going to galvanize behind for workouts. So I, I think that's something that also is a little bit underrated talking about these teams. I do want to give mention to one player, and then I'll leave it off to you. One guy who has really impressed me, I just watched him against the Patriots, and he's had a really fantastic season. Um, Zach Brown has become a really good linebacker for the Bills. And he was someone who, in Tennessee, I thought kind of got screwed over because 
all of a sudden his teams were so bad. I never thought he played badly. He just was that sort of a fungible position, and then he ended up not really getting a lot of due. He was all over the field against the Patriots, though, and he's had a really, really good year. He's one of the best linebackers in football right now, I think, and it makes sense given his pre-draft and his ability to get sideline to sideline and really play instinctively. So that's one guy who I think Rex Ryan has really done wonders for. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't say that I've broken him down or seen him play or anything, but he kind of he has the athletic profile to where you it wouldn't surprise you to see him flourishing now under a, a, de- a defensive head coach that would know how to utilize him. Yeah, and another wide receiver who, and this is why maybe I was a little bit higher on the Jets than a lot of other people. Uh, I didn't think that they were going to win the division, but I thought they'd be a little bit better than this. Quincy Inunua has really stepped up for them this year, even though his quarterback is awful. And he's someone who I loved out of Nebraska, and that's been really nice to see. With Decker gone, I think that he's going to really get the chance to make some plays. I'm really excited to see how he grows in New York. I just hope he gets to play with a decent quarterback. Do you think that Todd Bowles could get fired this year, though? Um, I think it's a possibility. The Jets are just kind of they, – they're in in perpetuity of – they they follow this, the exact same – developmental plan like every time they build a roster that peaks and they they always hire a defensive head coach they build a roster that like peaks in that coach's first year or first like and then the roster kind of disintegrates slowly after that it's disintegrating a little bit faster for bowls than it did for uh for mangini or ryan but like the defensive head coach always gets like a little bit too much credit for making the pieces work like that the last guy had, and then, like I said, it all falls apart on him. Everything gets old. They, they invent, like, they go up, it doesn't matter, like, whether they go after a veteran or they try to draft young guys. Like, they're just not very good at evaluating the quarterback position. Like, Favre, Favre was probably their best move, and he was playing well until he, he injured his elbow and kind of fell apart down the stretch. But they haven't figured that position out. They're, they're, uh, they signed, they're very, they're an old roster. Like they're, they're all the guys that they rely on. All of their dudes are all old guys. Revis, uh, Marshall, and I mean Decker's not super old, but he's a vet. And all these guys got got big cap hits too. And then, I, I, you, like you can see this coming with Ryan Fitzpatrick too. Like he had a career year last year. He didn't do anything all summer, and then like came in the day before training camp and I mean he had he had good volume stats last year but I mean he he was still the same guy he's always been so like you could just I don't know I mean I don't know how much of this is blamable on Todd Bowles this whole thing was kind of like it seems like it was just very very predictable and you could see this coming everybody but the Jets saw this coming so I don't know how they're going to evaluate the state like of their own roster and whether they feel like they underachieved. I think that this is exactly who they are, though. They built a roster that peaked last year as a 10-6 team that lost to Rex Ryan with the playoffs on the line. Sounds about right. We're going to jump to the AFC North, and I want to start with a team that you saw personally, the Baltimore Ravens, because everyone coming into this year talked about the Bengals and the Steelers being the clear class of this division, and the Ravens have done a really really good job so far they're three and one and they were contending in that game they lost to the Raiders that was a really good game so what do you think about the Ravens do you think they're for real or do you think that they're going to end up slipping once their schedule gets a little bit tougher 
Yeah, I watched that game, that Raider game in its entirety, and then I saw them play the Jags the week before. Um, so, I mean, they're better than I thought they were going into the season. I thought that they had, like, a bottom five roster in the NFL. But the thing is, is that they're much healthier this year than they were last year. And last year they were bad, but they lost a lot of really close games. And this year, what they're... They're very, very well coached, and they're really good at, like, mucking the game up and turning it into, like, a sloppy slugfest. And that's exactly the type of style that they want to play. Like, they they know what their talent deficiencies are. They play – they try to play to what they do have. They try to muck the game up and make it a short, quick game. Um, And like I said, they're they're really, really well coached. But I don't think that this is a a very talent-plentiful roster. Um. If, if they get a couple of injuries again, like you can see this kind of torpedoing down the stretch and, and they haven't, they really, the Raiders are the first team that they've played. Like, and it's not like that they've been blown away shitty teams. All the teams that they've beaten have been very bad teams and they were all close games that they played in. And think about that Browns game. And I got to talk about the Browns because man, they're so entertaining and yet they're zero and four and it really stinks. I honestly think that if Josh McCown hadn't gotten hurt in that Ravens game, they wouldn't going away. They were destroying the Ravens. And Isaiah Crowell is by far, according to DVOA again, he's the top running back in football right now, and it isn't close whatsoever. And then you have Terrell Pryor, who's been a revelation. Corey Coleman got hurt, but before then, I mean, you can see all the talent there. The Josh Gordon situation is really unfortunate, and we can talk about that a little bit too, but I guess... The thing with the Browns is how many games did they end up winning this year? Because they seem too good to go like three and thirteen. I mean, yeah, but that defense is literally like arena football league bad. Like it's really, really, really bad. And I'm gonna pull up their schedule right now. Um, they play the Titans. I mean, they play the Patriots this week. They're gonna get destroyed in that game. They got the Titans the week after that. That's a winnable game for them. It's on the road for them though. And then, I mean, they're at, they have the Ravens on the road. Tough, man. They got the Chargers December 12th. I mean, their schedule is at Titans, at Bengals, versus Jets, versus Cowboys, at Ravens, versus Steelers, versus Giants, versus Bengals, at Bills, versus Chargers, at Steelers. There's not a single game there where I think that they'd be favored. But, um, I don't know. I mean, their offense has been really good. If they can get McCown healthy again, they're going to have, like, they're, they're a frisky team and a frisky offense. I thought that they were going to be better than the Ravens coming into this year, and I thought that their offense was going to be really good. But, um, like I said, that defense is just so, so, so bad. You can't, even if they get a lead, you can't count on them to be able to protect any lead. If they get the number one pick next year, and they get a guy like Deshaun Kaiser to pilot that offense, Woo boy, that's going yeah, to be that, uh, fun to watch. They, they they do need a, they do need the most important position, but if they get that guy and don't fuck it up, like everything's kind of already in place to have a a pretty good offense from the like it's a good it's going to be a good situation on offense for a young quarterback to go into, other than it being Cleveland and the destroyer of of young quarterback careers. Yeah, I want to talk about young quarterbacks a little bit later in this podcast. I will say, though, I'm a little nervous about the Browns and the Patriots game this weekend. The last two games that the Browns and Patriots have played have been really no. weird. Ethan. They've been weird. I just – I was at the last game they no. played, and no. they – they I was at this game with my Cleveland Browns friend, actually, Zach, and that was a game where Gronk got out for the year. 
That was also the game where the Patriots were down by like uh four thirteen points with two minutes left, and they scored a touchdown, got an onside kick, and got another touchdown to win the game. And the year before that was the worst game Gronk's ever played. Actually, it was in 2010. That was the worst game Gronk's ever played, and they lost to the Browns 34-14. to So, yeah, weird shit happens in Cleveland. I don't even know. I think the Patriots will win, but Brady will be back, so it should be in good shape. I'm not even gonna. I'm not gonna even acknowledge that. We're just gonna <laughs> move on to the next segment. Yeah, let's let's just move on. Let's move on to your favorite division. Let's move on to the AFC South. So, you're a Jaguars fan. I don't understand why they're so bad. Because if you look from an objective standpoint, I think that they are. They should be better than they are. And I've watched bits and pieces. I watched the full. England game, and the biggest thing I got from the England game is that Blake Bortles is just making some really bad decisions at times, and I just don't really know what to say other than he needs to become smarter, but, you know, why do you think the Jaguars just aren't performing up to par right now? It's really, their quarterback is playing like a bottom three quarterback, their offensive line is a bottom three to five offensive, probably bottom three offensive line. Um, they have some good players, but their good players are all very, very young. And with young players comes volatility. Uh, they're, they don't have anybody that you can point to and say that, like, that's a consistent week to week good player other than like, other than Tobin Smith, probably uh, maybe Malik, Malik Jackson's been solid every week. So you have like really volatile young talent, and then you have a, co- a coaching situation that's not going to uh, to make anybody look better than they really are. So when you combine all of those things, you have a team that like looks good on paper to people because you see like some young talent and potential there, but um, like the part, the individual parts are. It's not one of those things where like. The sum is better than the individual parts. Is where the individual parts look better than like what the what the actual than what the sum is. That sounds fair. I will say that I've seen. I think on defense there's a lot to be excited about. I mean, we've talked. We saw Yannick and Gakwe. He looks really good, and a little Chandler Jonesy actually, from what I've seen in terms of his length and his ability to get off the ball. I think people underrated that a little bit, and I don't even think Fowler's been that bad, but. You wrote a really good piece on your blog about scheming and how the Chargers really set them up for the second half in terms of seeing that they were going to be dealing with a linebacker on the crosser. And, yeah, Paul Puzzlesley should not be in coverage anymore. And Miles Jack should play. I think that those are reasonable things. But it was really sad watching that London game and seeing the Jaguars and the Colts really play their parts. And, I mean, the Colts are a really bad team. They're like, trained they're, they're, They're awful. Horrible. They should fire everyone. The scary thing is that... They just Bi- extended everyone. <laughs> yeah. The scary thing is that like, Bill Simmons even said, like, he can't give up on the Titans, and I think that's mostly just because the rest of the division is bad, because, I mean, I'm the biggest Marcus Mariota fan that there was last year, but he has not looked good this year. Granted, I don't think his receivers are helping him that much, but he still has not... He's made some really bad decisions. Um, so is Jameis to an extent, but I definitely expect a little bit more from Mariota. So we have three pretty bad teams, and then the Texans who just lost their best player. Who do you think wins the division? Just the Texans by default because they might have the best coach? Yeah, te- the Texans are still have a better roster than everybody else. 
It's not close. It's not close. Like they're they lost their best player, but their quarterback their quarterback play isn't good, but it's functional and better than last year. Like they'll be able to beat bad teams. They'll the Texans. I feel okay about being able to beat bad teams, and I don't feel good. I wouldn't feel good about like any of the other team. Like I wouldn't favor any of the other teams in the South against like hardly any of their games on on their remaining schedules. All, the other three teams are bad, legit bad teams. So over under two, how many coaches do you think get fired after this season in the South? I think Bradley's like 90% malarkey, 90%. I don't know what the Colts are going to do because, like I said, they just extended both Pagano and Grigson. So unless they're okay getting out of that. Because they're, they're going to have, like, a top-five pick. That team's fun. And I don't think Luck is going to make it through the season again. He's going to get hurt again. So, I don't know. I can see three out of the four looking for new coaches. I think that there's a pretty good chance Malarkey keeps his job. It's not, for some reason, they like Malarkey. I don't know why. They're, they're in just a weird state, too, with just, like, their ownership situation. They're a franchise that – they're, like, a rudderless franchise right now. And that a lot of that just comes back to ownership. Like, Bud Adams, the longtime owner, died, and, like, there's been a – there's been, like, infighting between who – like, who's inheriting the team and running – like, who's actually running the team and shit like that. Like, they, they're just in, like, a, a weird situation like that. And whenever that happens, you see teams, like, try to – uh, keep costs low, so to say. So I, I can see that too, because they might not want to. Because uh, I think they're still paying Wizenhunt. They're not gonna. They're not gonna be wanting to pay three coaches next year. I don't think. I think that's fair. If the uh, if the Colts lose luck, their backup quarterback is Scott Tolzien. So that should be fun for fantasy purposes. Granted, we're going to be watching a Blaine Gabbert versus Drew Stanton game. Well. I'm not going to be watching it, but some people will be watching a Blaine Gabbert vs. Bruce Stanton game after this podcast is being uploaded because it will probably be uploaded on Friday. Finally in the AFC, let's talk about the West super quick. Um, I'm a little surprised that Denver has looked this good with Simeon, but he's played pretty well, and I thought Paxton Lynch played pretty well too. Maybe Gary Kubiak is just a really good offensive coach. I think that's sort of what it comes well, down yeah. to. Their quarterbacks were the worst in the in the NFL last year, and they won the Super Bowl. Like anything was an upgrade, pretty much any anything besides Mark Sanchez was an upgrade for them. And they look pretty good on defense as they did yeah, last even, year. Even with the attrition that they've had of of guys getting plucked off that roster and getting signed to, to huge contracts by other teams, they they've got a machine rolling right now. Like and that they're uh. They're a confidence team right now, too, to where they know how good they are. They know how to win with this roster and how it's constructed. And Kubiak and Wade are a good coaching tandem. Like, people ran them out of out of uh, – like, they got ran out of Houston, but it's not like Houston has been any hot shit under Bill O'Brien either. Like, they were – that team was a Super Bowl contender in, I think, 2011. And, it, like, when the, when that team was actually at its peak – their quarterback, Matt Schaub, went down two years in a row, and they had to rely on Case Keenum. Like, that's not dude's fault. And That's not that's not Kubiak and Wade Phillips' fault. And, I mean, it just kind of uh, – I think that's just kind of – it's come up against Houston to fire those guys, and then as soon as they go to Denver, they win a Super Bowl of the next – they win a Super Bowl the very first year, and then they have a machine rolling. So I think that's very uh, 
I, th- I think that both of those guys are, are very, very underrated and underappreciated coaches. They've also done a really good job of getting talent and coaching. Um, the offensive line is so much better this year than last year. Uh, watching them in the Carolina game, I watched a couple other games with them. They're giving Simeon time in the pocket. They're run blocking a lot better, which is great. And then I'm thinking about these linebackers, like this dude Troy Davis from Sacramento State. Is it, is it State. fair to say that is it fair to say that Elway's by far and away the best GM in the league is right them? now? Oh, I don't think it's very close. He's done like, an amazing who would, job. Who would even be in like uh, in the conversation with him? Schneider in Seattle, maybe. Um, but even then, like Carroll has final say on the roster and everything over there. Yeah. Um, who else is in that? Spielman with Minnesota, like that going after going after Bradford, like that was pretty fucking ballsy and it paid off. Yeah, but, that was a great move by the Vikings. Um, another <laughs> yeah, one, maybe. El- yeah, always. He always. I, he's. I think you have to. He's the. He's the king right now. He's the king of the NFL. Another one who's making a, a run for that crown in his division, though, is Reggie McKenzie. That Raiders team is well put together. And, you know, Derek Carr, I was a little bit skeptical of him coming out of Fresno State, but it clicked for him last year. I still want to see him in some slightly better defenses show me something because a lot of his production has been against some lesser defenses. But when he has an opportunity, he's been phenomenal this year. And, he also has the number one wide receiver in terms of DVOA, who he's throwing to. Again, small sample size. Again, all the caveats. Michael Crabtree is having a sensational year. And this is a guy who was an amazing receiver in San Francisco. And he ended up, for whatever reason, falling out of favor. He got hurt a couple of times. I don't think he was a good fit for what they were running on offense. I think he fought with a lot of people in that locker room, too, because he's a pretty opinionated guy. But he goes to Oakland. He's the number two receiver there now behind Amari Cooper. And honestly, he's outplaying Amari Cooper right now. Yeah, um, Oakland's a really interesting team. And I brought this up on on the Keep Chopping Wood podcast, the Jaguars podcast, that the Raiders are a team that I – I mean – they and the Jaguars have been on pretty much the same developmental track where they were starting off with basically like expansion level type rosters when they started these rebuilds. They took quarterbacks from the, from the same class, from the 2014 class. Um, so like I said, they, they've kind of been on the same developmental track and I thought that coming into the season, both of them were teams that were going to be a year away, but Oakland is putting it there. They have, Shown that, I mean, they're three and one, and those all three wins are, are gutty wins on the road. Um, it's a team that's showing that they know how to win, and they, they played the Ravens, and the Jaguars played the Ravens the week before, so you have like kind of a transitive property type of thing working where you have a common opponent. Um, and, and the Jaguars and the Raiders actually play each other in, in two weeks. I mean, in three weeks, excuse me. Uh, Jack Del Rio's return to Jacksonville. So, it's been kind of interesting. I mean, the the Raiders have shown that they are far and away ahead in terms of, of them being on a comparable developmental track to the Jaguars. Uh, and the difference has been the investments in the offensive line that Oakland has made have paid off way, way more than the investments on the offensive line that the Jaguars have put into because both teams have invested a lot of resources into that area. The Jaguars have not panned out, and the Ra- the Raiders have pretty much hit on all of their offensive line investments, and Carr is far and away better than Bortles right now, and that's the difference between the two teams. 
I think part of it also is coaching. And yeah, oh, absolutely. Jack Del Rio, absolutely. you know, I think it's easy to make fun of Jack Del Rio because for whatever reason, he's just a guy who always seemed to be a step away from being a top coach in the league, but was always pretty good. I mean, people forget that when I think John I think Fox had a heart attack. I think he took, overachieved with a lot of his Jaguar rosters. Yeah, he definitely overachieved. And he's, that call on fourth down, or not, no, the two-point conversion call, sorry, in week one against the Saints, that was a ballsy call, and it paid off. And that's a, that's a coach who trusts his team, called the right play, and I think they have a really nice program in Oakland right now. I'm really enjoying watching them, so they're great. Before right. We, the thing about him, too, is you say a ballsy call. Like, people think that because he's a defensive guy that he's really conservative, but he's always been a really, really aggressive coach. He was always like that in Jacksonville, like being aggressive in terms of going for it on fourth downs and things of that nature. Um, it's just that, like, because his quarterback situation has always been kind of – was always kind of limited in Jacksonville, and he was he came from a defensive background – and, like, he always coached with John Fox, who's a super conservative guy. He kind of gets that rep, but it's really undeserving. Like, he's an aggressive coach. He's a very competent NFL head coach. Like, people bash on coaching so much in the NFL. There's really only a handful of guys that make a difference. You you just don't want your team to have, like, one of the, ha- the a handful of guys that, like, are absolutely fucking terrible for your team. Like, most of them are, like, a net neutral and I think Jack's in that category. He's going to get out of his roster what he has. Like I said, I think he actually overachieved with some of his Jaguar roster. But, I mean, he's a completely competent NFL head coach, and that's something that the Raiders haven't had since John Gruden was there. <laughs> and then, meanwhile, the Jaguars have Gus Bradley. Yeah. Before we move on to the a general AFC overview, just to pick up any pieces we didn't pick up originally, are the Chiefs good or bad? Um, I think they are what they are, and they you saw the best version of them. They peaked like they peaked a year ago. I think that's fair. Uh, that Steelers they're game they're was not painful. that much different from the Jets. I th- the only different the only difference is that instead of um, like Revis got old for New York really fast, and for the Chiefs, Justin Houston is hurt, and that that is a that changes who they are as a as a team. I think they're slightly better than the Jets also because. Smith's not going to throw the dumb picks that Fitzpatrick does. Right, but, um, I mean, he he's also, like, if it's not a close game, like, the Chiefs' defense can't keep game all, like, all these games close anymore, and what are you going to do when Alex gets behind, like, two or three scores? Like, you're not coming back from that. Great. So, just overall in the AFC, before we go to the NFC, and we're going to talk about football for a little while longer, um, are there any players that you've watched this year who either jumped out to you in a really surprising positive way or a really surprising negative way in the AFC? In the AFC, um, Crowell has been uh, absolutely fantastic to watch. Terrell Pryor, too. Like, that, the whole, um, just the whole redemption narrative behind, like, a bunch of those Cleveland guys. And I, I was hoping it was going to come together for Josh Gordon, too. We saw a flash of it in the preseason. But um, he's obviously got other things that in his life that he needs to focus on and take care of. And uh, those things are much, much more important than football. But um, just like the the opportunity for – I mean, Terrell Pryor, that situation, that redemption story is just absolutely awesome. And uh, Sigmund brought it up on – I think it was on the couch where I think that people would be way more receptive to the idea of Terrell Pryor if it like – 
if he was just some dude that played basketball and like flamed out a basketball and decided he wanted to play football as opposed to like trying out and failing as a quarterback. And he kind of just like, he still kind of carries that negative stigma with him. And part of that too, is he's a little bit older. He's like 27 now making the position switch. But um, I mean, if he didn't have that stigma of being a failed quarterback, I think that people, he would just like, he would be a way more interesting success story to people. And he'd be getting a ton of more publicity and like positive, uh, positive press, so to say. Yeah, Crowell's been incredible this year. He's been the best running back in football this year, at least for yeah. me. Yeah, Jason Verrett for the Chargers, I think, has been absolutely outstanding. Too, I know that word came out. To, I think it was today that his knee might be kind of fucked up, but and that would suck because he's been a really, really fun player. Um, trying to think of anybody else that jumped. Telvin Smith for the Jaguars. He's been their most consistent player week to week. Like he's really, really blossoming. Mm, I'll say Jalen Jones. Sorry for the terrible radio. Oh no, this is totally fine. I will say Jalen uh, did a great job. Oh, Jalen's been fantastic. He's going to be really, really good. Melvin yeah, Gordon. I think Melvin Gordon has been really good this year, and yeah. part of that is he has a consistent line finally to block for him. And the yeah, other part is he's running the, more decisively, which is great. I think probably one of the best uh, free agent signings that happened this offseason was Eric Weddle going to the Ravens. Like he, him and Webb have formed, like they're a fantastic safety duo. Like they're, they're those two in the, on the back end, they're capable of doing a lot of interesting things. The spine of that defense is actually really, really solid and a lot better than I thought it was going to be coming into this year with Mosley, Mosley at the linebacker spot. Daryl Smith is still there, I believe too, but Mo, Mosley's been fantastic. Um, Weddle and Webb have been fantastic as the safeties and then, Jernigan's pretty good, and the, the other dude, what's their nose tackle's name? Williams. Brandon Williams. Yeah, that dude's really, really good. So the spite of that defense is, is really, really solid. A lot. That's what's really what, what is carrying that team. I'll throw out one more name, and then we'll move on to the NFC. But the best pass rusher in football might be Carlos Dunlap. He's been really, really good this year, and I think he's been a little bit underrated because you have the Von Millers, you have the Khalil Max. There's a lot of really good pass rushing talent in football right now, and that's great. But Dunlap is, I believe, tied for the league lead in terms of all times someone's gotten to the quarterback this year. And he has all the skills you need. I still can't believe the Patriots didn't take him. They took his, his crappy teammate over him in 2010. That was a not good pick. But we're going to go to the NFC East now, and this is a really intriguing division. There's a lot going on here. You have the Giants, who looked pretty good early in the season. Janoris... Your boy Janoris has been one of the best cornerbacks in football this year, which yeah. I did not think he was going to be. Let Janoris flourish. He's been phenomenal. Um, but they're a little bit inconsistent still. And then you have the Cowboys and the Eagles both succeeding with these rookie quarterbacks. And then uh, Washington is just um, underachieving for me. I'm surprised how bad that defense is. Do you have any thoughts about the NFC East? Yeah, uh- this division is actually, like, shaping up pretty much how I thought it would. The only thing – I thought that Philly was going to be terrible. And they're, like, what? They're a top three team in the NFL right now probably. Top five for sure. Yeah. And that's what the – I mean, I completely – I didn't think that Doug Peterson was a good – it just shows how much, like, me or anybody else fucking knows. Like, everybody laughed at the Doug Peterson hire. So, like, oh, you're just going – you're, like, you just got the, the diet version of Andy Reid. Um, I didn't expect Carson Wentz to be this good. I thought the defense would, would be real because I, mean, I think that Schwartz is really, really underrated as a defensive coordinator and that 
what they're doing on defense now under Schwartz just fits their personnel so much better than the three the three four shit that they were trying to do under Chip. Like it, you're just seeing the the potential of that defense is finally been unlocked and it fits the personnel so so much better. You're seeing what they do now with like a, an offense that chews up time possession and like keeps them off the field and gives them rest too. So very very impressed with Philly's turnaround. Um, the rest of the division though, I kind of what you expect. I did. I expected Washington still. I don't have they beaten a team with a the their win against the Giants. The Giants had a winning record at the time, but uh, I mean they're not. They're never impressive against a good team. So I and they didn't really do much to improve. Like I know they signed Josh Norman, but I mean overall they. I don't. I didn't think that they really did that much to improve. They're the same team as they were last year, basically to me. And they won. They won a really crappy division that bottomed out last year, but. Um, I mean, Dallas just with competent quarterback play and a really, really good rookie running back, they're gonna they're right back in the mix. I, I think it's gonna be interesting to see if Dak keeps playing well down the stretch, if they go to Tony Romo or not. I think you gotta bench Romo if he plays well because it's the same situation that happened with Brady in two thousand and one against with Bledsoe. Um, because Bledsoe got hurt in that Jets game and then Brady just played so well, and Bledsoe's ready to come back, but can't sit the guy who led your team to the AFC Championship. Um, and we'll see what happens with Romo. I think, personally, it's pretty clear to me that it might be time for him to think about retiring, but I know that's a personal decision. About the Eagles, though, the thing with Carson Wentz to me, and I'm not sure if you've seen this, I am not seeing a guy who's that different from the tape that I saw at North Dakota State. I still see someone who, when he gets hit, he folds up a little bit, and he isn't great in the pocket. But Doug Peterson's doing an amazing job of masking that and is doing a really, really good job of ensuring that he has space, time to throw. They're playing to his strength, and he has such a nice arm that he can make all the throws when he has time. And Dak's been doing a great job, too. And honestly, this year, like, this rookie quarterback class, we thought that it wasn't a great quarterback class. At least I thought it was pretty mediocre. Yeah, it's looking pretty good. And other than Jared Goff, I mean, you got... Dak, you got Wentz. Brissett hasn't played badly, I don't think. I don't think Cody Kessler's played that badly either. I think that he's shown himself to be at least more competent than I thought he was going to be. I think, uh, who else do you have? You have Trevon Boykin getting some time and playing pretty well. And I'm yeah, 99% sure I'm missing someone, but whatever. Um, but what do you think that this quarterback class and the way that they've all come in early and played pretty well – do you think this tells us something about the quarterback position in general, how it's changing maybe more of a system role? Uh, well, I think that what you're seeing is you're seeing good coaching with young quarterbacks where, I mean, they're obviously the most important piece of the offense, but that doesn't mean that they they can still be a complementary piece as you're bringing them along. Like, you don't have to just throw – you don't have – it's good that – I mean – if you have a good support structure in place, like there's no reason to make a, a young quarterback the the foundation of of your offense to where you ask him to carry you. Like these guys are being asked to to play complementary roles within the offense, and that's exactly what you want to ask of a young quarterback. So it, it comes back to to especially with Dak and with uh, with Carson Wentz, outstanding, outstanding outstanding coaching and understanding like how to play to your rookie quarterback strengths and weaknesses and and uh 
shining a light, or not really shining a light, but highlighting like what they do well and giving them things that they do well and kind of keeping them out of bad situations. I think that's totally fair. And I mean, pe- people are are so against, it's a it's a passing league, it's a passing league, it's a passing league. But when you don't have the type of quarterback that can carry a passing offense by himself and cover up for all kinds of various flaws in your offense, the running game becomes a very, very, very important part of of what you need to do as an offense to to make sure you stay ahead of schedule and your quarterback's not constantly playing behind the chains. And all of those teams are most of them have very good running games and you've seen it really help the quarterbacks. I think that the first time that a rookie quarterback threw an interception, I believe was in week three, which is just baffling to me considering how many were playing. Yeah, that's wild. And yet Jared Goff on your LA Rams was yet to play. NFC North. Wow. The Vikings. Wow. The Vikings. Is this the biggest gap of first place to the rest of the division in the NFL other than the Patriots? That's a tough question. I still think Denver is much better than the Raiders. Um, the Raiders are, I don't know, the Raiders are frisky, though. They're probably going to make the playoffs. I think that the Packers will beat the Vikings at home. But, uh, I mean, the Vikings are one of the most complete teams in football. They win in all three phases. In my opinion, it looks like they've upgraded their quarterback situation. Um, that defense, they return all 11 starters from last year, and it's an even better unit than it was now. Stefan Diggs is better than he was a year before. Uh, McKinnon, you know, as crazy as it sounds, might be an upgrade from Adrian Peterson from where Adrian was at this point in his career. So, I mean, they've got a firing in all, they've got a firing on all cylinders. I, what, their offensive line is terrible, but, I mean, this is a team that has taken on the identity of their head coach, and their head coach is, is a tough, no-bullshit guy, face adversity and overcome it. Um, and they, I, they're they a bully team that wants to, like, beat you up, and that's what they do. Yeah, I have a, I have a very sickening feeling that Teddy isn't going to play another down in football. Which is sad, yeah, but that injury... It wouldn't surprise me, but that seems like a pre- it was a pretty gruesome knee injury. Uh, that injury apparently is, like, one of the most severe injuries you can undergo, which sucks, because I disagree a little bit. I think that with the players making the same steps that they've made, I think Teddy would have been functioning similarly to Bradford's functioning this year. And I will agree with you, though, maybe to even take it a step further on Jarek McKinnon. That guy is phenomenal. Like, he is just... Lightning in a bottle, super quick, super athletic, super explosive, and he is a ton of fun to watch. Diggs is fun to watch. Um, Adam Thielen made a couple of nice plays. I like watching him, too. And Kyle Rudolph, who dropped, like, five touchdown passes last year from Teddy Bridgewater, found his hands again. Um, Yeah, they need some work on the offensive line, but otherwise, I think that that team is just really complete, and they've just exceeded expectations every single week for me. And that defense, we all know, is just fantastic. Um, Tough question, though, on that defense. Who do you think is the best player on that defense? That is a tough question. Um, Probably Everson, right? 
I would say Barr, but I think you can't really go wrong with like one of five choices. Yeah, Harrison Harrison Barnes is really good too. Harrison Smith. They got they got dudes all over. Xavier Rhodes is starting to blossom. Um, Sharif, when he's healthy, he's never fucking healthy. It seems like though. Linval Joseph is one of the best noses in the league. Like they got dude, they got dude, they got a dude at pretty much like all eleven spots. Xavier Rhodes is someone who I mean, I he in 2013 he was a top five overall player for me, and I he's one of my guys forever. And everyone was like, no, D. Milliner's better, and D. Miller just got cut, which. I liked Xavier better, too. Oh, yeah. He just translated better, and of, he's yeah, underrated. Yeah, one of my good calls on the 2013 class. Yeah, 2013 was a messy year. I'll take all the good calls I can get on 2013. Um, The rest of this division, do you have any thoughts on the rest of this division at all? Not really. The Bears and the Lions are both fucking terrible. No one should be subjected to watching either one of those teams. I think the Bears are – they keep getting, like, primetime games, too. I don't understand it. And the Packers, the Packers just kind of are – they're going to – they're in the same situation right now as, like, the Patriots were that one year where Gronk wasn't healthy yet or, or they didn't have Gronk. Like, mm. their year last year without Jordy was, like, the Patriots' year without Gronk. And right now it's, like, when uh, when they were kind of waiting for Gronk to get healthy again and, like, it bottomed out with the, the Thursday night loss, I think it was, against Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, All right, should they bench Brady and things of that nature? So the Packers are in that exact same situation, like – their offense, they obviously both have Hall of Fame amazing quarterbacks, but they have to have that guy who uh, is the the matchup one on one winner for for that offense to really function at its highest level. So they're gonna they're gonna go as Jordy goes. If Jordy gets healthier down the stretch and plays better, then they're gonna get scary again. If not, they're gonna be a really they're they're gonna be very similar to what they've been early this season and what they were last year. My one line take is that there's a really good story in ESPN, I believe, about Kerry Hyder, who is one of the league leaders in sacks right now, a guy from Texas Tech. That's a Tech. fake name. I don't, I don't know who that is. Yeah, he's good. He's He wears number, like, 67 or something because he doesn't want to forget where he came from. Um, but he's pretty good. And I will say, one Bears take, Leonard Floyd, when I've watched him, has not been that bad at all. He's actually yeah. looked pretty athletic because, unfortunately, I did watch one of those night games and I watched a little bit of the other one. Um I think that's going to end up being a good pick for them. They need some time. They need a new quarterback because I think Cutler is a little bit washed and yeah, Corey is not the answer. Spot right now. Um, I think Kaiser would be fun there, but we'll see what ends up happening. NFC South is weird to me. That's a weird division. I don't know what to make of it. I, to I be don't. I mean, I, I, I kind of, I kind of saw, I saw this coming with the Panthers and said it on Sully's preview. Like, I think they're a little bit closer to the team that won the division at seven and nine than the team that trampled to a fifteen and one because Cam started playing out of his mind down the stretch. Because remember the first half of last year too. Like, I don't think they hadn't lost a game, but they were winning sloppy, ugly games. Like. So you can kind of see how it would tilt back in the back in the other direction for them. They're still good, but that's that's still a flawed roster where a, a few guys have to over overcome the flaws of the rest of the roster. There's some weird things going on there. Cam is clearly he got hurt in that Denver game and hasn't been the same since. And he, I hope he takes a couple of weeks off because he needs to get healthy because he hasn't looked the same since that 
Denver yeah. game in the second half. And then the thing, the thing with the Falcons is they they were six and zero last year. It's just are are they going to be for real down the stretch of the season? That's the big question I have. And their they schedule played, they, is brutal. They opened up against shitty defenses. Like that offense is on fire, but they've played shitty defenses to start the season. Um, and they 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 have all young 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 dudes on the defense is not good and is probably going to play worse down the stretch as, as all those guys start hitting the rookie wall. Yeah, and that schedule is brutal. That yeah. is a that is Denver Seattle. It's just not good. Um, yeah, they're going it, to have some issues. Bad, this is this is a bad division again. The only difference is that this year they're not they're not getting four free games against the AFC South. Well, which division is so you're you think that the AFC South is worse than this this division without Cam? Mm, yes. Because I think New Orleans is the worst team in the NFC South, and they're by far better than all than the bottom three teams in the AFC South. I would pick I would pick the Saints to beat the Colts, the Titans, and the Jaguars. And they did. I think they did last year. Yeah, the Saints are. I I really like their offense, but that defense they need help. They they need they need to come to Jesus moment because I think Sean Payton needs to go at some point too because that team is just not good anymore. Tampa really disappointing. Jameis has made some pretty bad decisions this year, and um, we'll see what happens. I think that once Doug Martin comes back, we'll be in a little bit better shape. Yeah, everybody always hypes up Charles Sims, and, like, I get it for fantasy because he's a good PPR back, but you can't, fun- like, you can't function, you can't play football the, the way that they want to play with, uh, like, the under center run game being such a heavy part of their offense. You can't function like that with Charles Sims as your back. Like, losing, losing, um, losing Doug Martin was a much, much bigger blow than I think anybody wanted to admit. They also have a shitty offensive line, too. Their yeah. interior is not bad, but there was a great quote that happened during the Denver game um, where I think the sideline reporter, I don't remember who it was, said that Von Miller went to her and said normally he lines up against um, the team's worst lineman who's the right tackle, but this week he's lining up against the left tackle because he's much worse than the right tackle, uh, Donovan Smith being that left tackle. Uh-huh. And... He then on the next three plays, I think two out of three, he beat them on both sides for pressures or sacks. It, yeah. it was just, it was just one of those things where they need a lot of help on offense and then yeah. defense. They're they're gonna be a team. They're they're the beginning. Their opener to their schedule is absolutely brutal, and I think it eases up down the stretch. And I think that they'll play better down the stretch, and they're gonna be like the sexy team that people pick next year to like make the playoffs. They're gonna be like what the Raiders were this year. You know what I mean? I could see that. I think that Jameis still is so impressive. I think it'll click for him at some point. He should have won that Rams game, too. He just made a really bad decision. So I think they'll be okay. Um, let's go to the last division, the division where the Rams are leading it right now, the yeah, NFC West. Like, you, I know you have a hot take on the Rams, um, especially their running back. But, yeah, what do you think about this division? Um, I mean, it really – I saw this coming with Arizona – uh, Carson Palmer is turning back into the pumpkin that he is. And the the thing about their offense is their the style of offense that they want to play is such a high degree of difficulty. Like when you're not hitting those big plays, like you have no consistency from drive to drive. You know what I mean? Um, like they're just floundering in, in terms of the intermediate pass game. They have no way to they have no way to sustain offense right now. Um, I know David Johnson is getting a big vault like. He's getting a 
big volume, but they just don't, they don't really have the way of, like I said, when they're, when they're not hitting those, those chunk plays, they have no way of like complementing their running game. They have no drive to drive consistency. Palmer's turning the ball over a ton. So you're just seeing that, that whole thing kind of bottom out. Um, the Niners are what they are. They're kind of, they're better at home, I think, than everybody predicted. And they're actually kind of frisky at home. Like if you come if you come into San Francisco and play like shit, they can beat you. But overall, just horrible, horrible roster. Nobody expects anything from them. The Rams, though, I guess everybody's surprise team. Um, everybody expected you know seven to nine bullshit again. <laughs> but uh, I think everybody. The, the opener game against San Francisco was, it was a national televised game that everybody saw. But I think that we kind of overstated like the degree of difficulty and how difficult it would be to prepare for that opening game when you move across the country. You're in like five different, it's not like they were just headquartered in one place in Los Angeles either. They were spread out over like a 50 or 200 miles square square mile radius of like five different locations of where, you know, the practice facility and where they were at for training camp and where, you know, the team facilities were at, where the Coliseum is at. Like it's, it's, they're all spread out. They had hard knocks with them all summer. So I think that them kind of laying, laying an egg in the opener was kind of predictable. And it's not like there was Minnesota, uh, the, the 49ers did the exact same thing to Minnesota the year before and Minnesota was fine down the stretch. So you're seeing the investments that they've made on the offensive line paying off. I mean, Gurley's not playing well from a production standpoint, and I'm, I've been kind of trolling that, like, he's got real, like, Trent Richardson-like production other than the first month that he started October last year. But uh, I, I don't think that it's necessarily his 100% his fault. Um, they're getting enough production out of Keenan to be functional on offense, and, and the defense is playing really, really well. They, they've got dudes on that defense. One guy who jumps off the tape to me, and he's someone who I compare to Jacksonville's Jalen Ramsey. Trumaine Johnson is a legitimate top ten cornerback in football. Yeah, he had an amazing game this past week. He's too. so good, and it took him time. It took him a little bit of time to get there, but he is fantastic. Uh, Mark Barron has been really good, and and that's someone who I, well, he was a bad pick when he was picked in the top ten in his draft, but. Uh, the Rams found a good way to use him. And yeah, they're, sal- they're really salvaging well. it. Yeah, they're making it work, and Aaron Donald's phenomenal as well. Um, the funny thing about the the Cardinals is against the Patriots, I thought they had a really good game plan, and they used a lot of short passing really effectively. They ran screens to Fitzgerald, and then they'd run Johnson off tackle, and they'd make plays. And I'm surprised that they haven't used it as much. They're trying to go deep a lot more. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think that defense is slightly overrated. I think one player who's oh, slightly sure. overrated on that defense is uh, Deion Buchanan. I've seen some times this year where he's gotten run over by blockers. And it's one of those things where, you know, he sort of revolutionized the position of, like, being the safety who plays in the box. There's a reason why when teams see that, they're like, let's just run right at him. Because well, yeah, well, the thing is, is their games are all a lot closer, or they're in negative game scripts now. Mm. So now he's not, you know, covering, now he's not dropping back on two out of three downs guaranteed, or maybe even three out of the three downs guaranteed. Like I said, they're in negative game scripts, so teams are able to play him as a safe, like, they're able to play against him like he's a safety playing linebacker, which he is, and teams are just running right down their fucking throats. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, NFC. Any other players who've jumped out to you this year? Tremaine is somebody that, that you brought up. He's been playing absolutely fantastic. Him and Janoris have both been really, really good this year. Um, off of the top of my – I mean, Philly. Philly getting all those guys to turn around in the 4-3 has been fantastic to watch. Um Atlanta's offensive line. I think Alex Mack is one of the best free agent signings. I wish the Jaguars would have tried to sign him. Um, he he is completely, completely. I mean, what they're able to do in their run game this year versus last year. Like Devontae had a had a nice stretch when he first started last year, but he really wore down down the stretch. But I think that their their offensive line and their run game just looks so much better and more consistent on a down-to-down basis this year than it did last year. And I think Alex Mack is a big part of that. Um, Marvin Jones, obviously, has been fantastic. I'm trying to think of anybody else off the top of my head. Hmm. I think that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, I only got two more, and one of them is one of the Eagles you mentioned. Rodney McLeod has been really good. And he was a good safety in St. Louis last year uh, before they moved. And he's really allowed for those cornerbacks to play a little bit more aggressively because they're not amazing at deep coverage. And I think he's really made that defense so much better. And then one more saint I got to mention, who I think if he was on any other team in the league, uh, I think that Willie Sneed could be one of the most underrated receivers in football. A a jinx special. Michael Thomas is starting to blossom now, too. Yeah, he looks really good, too, but I've seen Willie Sneed just make some incredible catches. Um, That guy is so good at tracking the ball in the air. A little bit like Sammy Coates coming out of Auburn, and Coates has shown that trait in Pittsburgh this year. Um, Yeah, Sneed's just so good tracking the ball in the air. He's really tough. He's really stout over the middle. I think he's a little – I'm not sure that he's worse than Jarvis Landry. I think that if you swap Jarvis Landry and Willie Sneed, I think you would have similar production on whichever team you're on. That's yeah, don't uh, ask me about – every time I give an opinion on Jarvis Landry, I get Dolphins Twitter getting at me. I'll invite Dolphins Twitter on to me. And, you know, it's been an hour talking about football. This has been great. But we do have two other parts of this podcast that we're going to cover super quick. Um, we're going to talk about society because I want to talk about something that both of us have dealt with, which is burnout. Um, yeah, I mean, there isn't a lot to, why don't you just quickly tell us, uh, your experience, like what it feels like to get burnout in football. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, uh, I talked about it on Matt Harmon's podcast in the off season. Uh, he had me cause he was talking to like a bunch of different football writers and like their starts and, and he wanted to have me on to, to talk specifically about that, about burnout. And I mean, you have to understand that I've been around football since like, I was, my dad was a football coach, so even before I could play, I was helping him do, I mean, I was around, you know, in hell week practices in the summertime, helping him, you know, cut up film and break down film and shit like that, like, and like I said, this is before I could, I was even playing, so I, I've been around football my entire life, um, already, so I had, I, I mean, I got burnt out of playing, like, by the time I was done with high school, 
I had a pretty successful high school, you know, playing career. Uh, I was burnt out by the end. I coached for a few years after that and then started blogging and writing about it. And I mean, I, I liked blogging and writing about it when I could do it on my own time and my own pace. Once I started doing it for money, like in for side jobs where I had to like create content, you know, on a schedule and things of that nature, it, just, it, it be, it really did. It became like a job for me. And like, uh, the thing that I said on Matt's podcast was that sometimes, uh, hobbies are better left as passions and football is a little bit better for me when I can, like I do right now with big board, like I can pick it up and play with it when I want to. And if I need to, to set it aside to, you know, take care of other things that are important in, in my real life. Cause that's the thing that you have to understand is if you, if people that want to do this for real, for real, Adam, I think it was Adam Leviton that talked about it from Roto world that talked about it on Matt Harmon's podcast is that if you decide to do this like full time and you want to get into the content game, you have to accept that it's like, it's an alternative lifestyle. Um, it, it's not, it's not like a normal lifestyle. It's not like how normal people work and make money and there's not a lot of money to make in it. And it can be inconsistent in how much money you're making and can you survive off of it? There, it, it like I said, it's just, uh, it's cool as like a little psychic or for me, like even for me, it's just like just truly straightly leaving it as a hobby. But, and then too, like you have to have uh, the right people that are supportive in your life about, about that, like about spending that much time on something that really in the grand scheme of things doesn't really fucking matter. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of different things that go into it. So burnout, it can happen very, very easily, especially once you, it, it becomes a job for you. Yeah, and I have definitely gone through my my rounds of burnout. Um, it, it goes in peaks and valleys, like which is actually why I'm kind of proud that this podcast has now been going with a couple of off weeks just because of timing or whatnot. But it's been going since last November, and I've been able to keep it going the entire time. And and honestly, I'm the kind of person who starts a lot of projects and doesn't finish them. So yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah, I just have so that's like, why. That's why maintaining a content schedule is very hard for me. Yeah. And I, I'm getting better about it now. Like this, this was part of my way that I wanted to try and get better at actually doing something on a schedule and, and, and also making stuff that I wanted to make because I mean, honestly, and I am writing for money right now, which is amazing. I'm mostly breaking down Yukon film every single week, which is, I mean, I like Yukon and it's actually, it's, it's, really entertaining to watch some of these games because they do the stupidest shit ever. Bob Diaco is an interesting coach, but at, at the same time, um, there is something nice to like keeping something as a hobby and, and having that out. And I mean, I think like in my mind, I, I constantly vacillate over what I want to write about football full time. And I think that if the right opportunity came around, I'd want to do it at this point in time. But I definitely sympathize with the fact that um, even, like, I have a friend who does write football full-time, and I know for a fact that he went through a period of severe burnout as a job um, to the point where he thought about quitting and doing something else. And yeah. luckily he had people that help him through it, but it's something that is very it, – it's a thing that a lot of people go through, and it's something that you – you take the good with the bad. I guess at the end of the day, what I tell myself is, I mean, someone's probably dreaming that they could have the opportunity that I have, even if it's just 
something that I'm doing for a couple of Yukon websites right now. And this podcast is something that, I mean, I get people all the time who are like, how did you get these guests to your podcast? I'm like, I just, I ask people and they come on, which is great. So I think that there's definitely something to be said about doing things at your own pace and your own schedule and not being beholden to anyone. Because do you listen to um, Dan Carson's Player Haters podcast at all? No, I haven't. It's Well, it's really good. It's by Dan Carson and Matt King. Uh, Dan writes for Fox and Matt King, I think, writes for Bleacher Report. They're both really good. Um, it's called the Player Hater Podcast. At the Dr. Carson on Twitter, I think, is Dan's handle. He's a nice guy. He's basketball Twitter. So once your Lakers get started, you'll be in good shape there. Um, but, yeah, they talked on the podcast about, like, all – they're going this conversation about funny Twitter accounts because, you know – I mean, congrats to Uncle Chaps. He got his new gig up Barstool. They're talking about, like, a lot of these really, really funny sports Twitter accounts, like Trill Ballins and uh, Fansense09 and all those people. And they're like, there's something nice about the fact that they don't do this for a living. Because once you do something like this for a living, and your job is to be funny, and your job is to work for an organization, um, you also have to do shit you don't want to do. <laughs> and... You have to, and it's your job now to be funny, and you have to do that in an uncompromising way. It's like way. maintaining character almost. Totally. That, that's, that was the big thing, that was another big thing it was for me. Like, I love Twitter and interacting on Twitter and everything, but I took a break from Twitter for a long time too. And that's what I talk about with, uh, or what, at, like, how I brought up Adam Leviton's point of it. You have to accept it being an alternative lifestyle. You kind of, uh, Online interaction becomes such a dominating part of the interaction that you're having that, like, you almost become, like, disconnected. The online world becomes, like, a bigger part than the real world, which is kind of, like, disjarring almost. I don't know. That That's, like, the best way I can describe it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it's, it, it, it's a very – it's an alternative lifestyle when you're, when you're that – far down the uh the rabbit hole of the internet and so like all your your time and your resources and everything that you're demanded your time and attention is demanded in terms of being an online presence and even like take it a step further like with uh chaps trobolins pft commenter like it can i can totally see how it can be absolutely fatiguing to like maintain a character constantly and, I mean, you sound a little bit like Jason Whitlock with his cyberhuman shtick, <laughs> his entire rant that he went on about cyberhumans. But, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree that it can be fatiguing, and it, it's nice to be able to not be beholden to doing that. And I think that another thing that I talked with Patrick Claibon about this last week on the podcast, uh, who is a professional – and who has a very good Twitter account nonetheless, there's a balance to be struck because there are certain things that you cannot say if you have a professional Twitter account. And we joke about it, like, this is a professional account. Um, but your opinions are a little bit less likely to be shared in that case. And I think, like, we've seen people get fired, even if they were for opinions that you don't agree with, um, because they voice them on social media. And I think the NFL.com guys actually in general – do a really, really good job of walking that line between... Yeah, the Roto World guys, too, are, are really good at it. Yeah, they're really good at having their own voice and being relatable and not just being figureheads, but also keeping it fairly professional. But, I mean, there are a lot of other people who, who don't. Like, 
the example that I'm thinking of right now is Jason Lacan Fora last night, um, or Tuesday night. Did you hear about his this? Orioles, his Orioles meltdown? Yeah. Um, and I think at one point, like, I understand why everyone was laughing at him. I understand why people were very angry at him. I think that part of that is because people really don't like him. I saw a lot of football writers be like, someone who is blocked just said something. Can someone tell me what he said? Um, but at the same time, like, it kind of sucks. I mean, this guy loves the Orioles. Like, even though he was acting like an asshole fan, like, he's just showing his passion. I think that if it was certain other writers, I don't think that we would have cared, and that's part of why I think people might not like Jason Lacanfora. But also, I think in other circumstances, um, if it was just you or me rooting on our team, if it was Sully, like, Sully doesn't have a, a sports writing job at this point, um... I don't think anyone would have cared, and it's just like that dichotomy that well, Sully is expected to have a meltdown if his teams lose. Like Sully's meltdown during the Orioles game was just as as epic as Luck and Forest. (laughs) It was (laughs) was just expected. I mean, as expected as a as as some certain reporters after uh, their flights get delayed, or like when Michigan Ohio State happens, or um, I don't know. I I think that. To, to sort of wrap up everything in a bow, and I'll let you know if you have any other thoughts, uh, the question of whether to do it professionally or not is a personal question that every single person needs to think about. And if you're lucky enough to get the opportunity after you worked long and hard for it, I think that um, is something to think about. But at the same time, I mean, you just need to remember that no matter what you're doing, even if it's in a segment of a field that you love, like burnout is totally real, and it's just – Sometimes you need to just take a step back and figure out how to best deal with that because I know that I remember in 2012, I want to say, maybe 2013, uh, I just got totally burnt out. And moving into 2014, I remember that I was supposed to be writing uh, all season on the Patriots and I wrote like one article and I just, I couldn't do it. And the great thing now is that even though I am doing this with the writing thing, I have a more informal relationship with some other sites where um, I'm trying to write more rather than less, but it's, I mean, I'm not paid for it, so I can pretty much put shit up whenever I want to do it. So it's like, it's just a nice dichotomy of having the ability to both be like, I'm writing for money, and then also saying, I can also write for free, and people will see it and comment on it. Um, because I think that at the end of the day, that's sort of like what we all want to a degree, even if we don't admit it. I think we just all want people to read or listen to our stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's why we talk into the abyss, right? Yep. That's why we create, we create stuff for it to be shared. We have these thoughts. That's what, uh, I mean, it's not like art in the traditional sense, but it's still like, uh, communicating thoughts and ideas through pictures and words and telling stories. And I think that's part of why also social media becomes so much more important because I think before social media, with like a sports center anchor, there was an imposition that this person is sitting on a stage behind a camera and that they have something important to say that you need to listen to, that they're telling you what they think and that because of their status, they're important. I think that with like TV more democratized now and with people just consuming content in so many other levels, um, 
it matters more who you are as a person than what your actual job is to a certain well, extent. Well, and your, your work is going to speak for itself, too. Like, good, good work gets found and good people get – they get good opportunities. Like, um, and if you're bad, like, you'll, you'll for sure hit a dead end. Like, you'll know if you're bad. You, and you can cry and complain about opportunities or the lack of advancement you were given or whatever, but um, – I can't think of very many people who I've seen in this field and I've been watching it for a while now who weren't supremely talented and put out consistent good work that didn't get better and better opportunities. Consistent good work and also unique work or different work. Like work that's not cookie cutter, boring, um, just analytics. And that was part of it also. Like when I was really burnt out, I was literally doing like a top 10 list every single week and that stuff gets old so quickly. Because you want to do more, and you don't really feel like you can, and it it's just one of those things where um, if you put in the effort, the work will really, it'll come to you, and that's what I think a lot of us aspire to do, and hopefully, if you're listening and you want to do sports writing or some sort of sports content production, think about how you could do something different that no one else is doing and, and bring it to the table. Um, but yeah, let's move on quickly to the stuff portion. I wanted to talk about this super quick. Um, because you spent a year, uh, an illustrious year in San Diego, more than two a year. Years. Two years? Two years. Oh, I only went to San Diego State for a year, but I stayed down there for another year after that. So an illustrious two years <laughs> in San Diego. I, I spent some time down there as well, and right now you live in L.A. I met you when I was out there. I've been to L.A. a bunch of times. Um, which city is better? Um. It depends on what you want out of life. I enjoy San Diego more, but um, here's the uh, the best way that I would compare and contrast the two. Like, L.A. is where you go when you want to, like, make money. And San Diego is a good place to go to when you have money and you're ready to enjoy your money. Like, L.A. is very, very much like the uh, the bustling rat race. Not to not it's really not that dissimilar from New York to be honest. Like it's not as condensed as New York. It's much more spread out. But um, and just in terms of the uh, the vibe and the feel, and just like everything is a hustle in LA, and you always gotta like you gotta be on your toes. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, it, like I said, it's just very much very much a rat race and a hustle. Whereas San Diego is, it's a, it's a beach city. It's, it's totally got, it is like the most stereotypical, um, laid back beach city that you could possibly find. So, I mean, it's a, San Diego is also a very, very easy place to get lost because it's like very, very easy, like so laid back and easy going. Um, probably like not too different from like what people say when they go to like, when they moved to Hawaii, I would imagine. I mean, it's obviously not as like tropical and islandy, obviously, but uh, just kind of that that same beach city vibe to where everything's just kind of like it's just a much much slower pace than than the rest of uh, than the rest of California. I have a funny story about getting lost in San Diego. Yeah. So my first week um, after I moved out there, I ended up going to the city because I wanted to just like explore a little bit, and I took the green line when I got into San Diego and I was supposed to eventually meet a friend on El Cajon Boulevard mm-hmm. on the green line. And I took the green line. I went to like, um, it passed by like 
Fashion Valley, which is a shopping mall there. I passed by Qualcomm, and I saw there was a stop in the green line that said El Cajon. So I'm like, oh, I guess that's where I have to go. <laughs> so I ended up going all the way to El Cajon, which is not El Cajon Boulevard. No, you went El- way east, bro. El-, El Cajon is where, wasn't there, well, there was just like a police shooting there, but isn't there like a lot of meth in El Cajon? It's, it's inland. The further away you get from the coast in, in California, the, the sketchier it gets. And you were, you, you got pretty far inland in, into El Cajon. Yeah. <laughs> it was not good. I, I, I got there and it was like a desert and I look at my phone and I'm like, oh shit, the next train doesn't come for like 30 minutes. <laughs> and so I was just stuck at the El Cajon train station, just like in the middle of like the sun for 30 minutes. And then I ended up going back to SDSU and then taking a bus from there. Um, but I, I love San Diego. I agree to an extent about LA and New York. I think New York's even a little bit more of a hustle than LA is. Yeah. The thing I don't like about LA is just, f- first of all, everything is so far apart, which sucks. I'm very there's impatient. I hate driving for 30 minutes to get there, anywhere. There's no easy way to get anywhere in Los Angeles. And it sucks. Like, y- y'all need good public transportation. Hopefully you're working on it, but it sounds like you've been working on it for a while and it's not getting any better. And then also, like, at least the people I met in L.A. overall, by and large, are pretty nice, but some of them are just not, like, there's a little bit of, like, like, New York is, I feel like New York's a little bit less clicky because it's a pretty heterogeneous group of people. They come from all walks of life. It's very, uh, it's a little bit more heterogeneous. In L.A., I've always felt like it was really clicky. I don't know why. Well, the thing about L.A. is that you have, like, the same mixture of different different cultures and different types of people, different uh, different um, socioeconomic classes. The only thing is that in New York, where everybody is kind of thrown together, Los Angeles is still very uh, – it's still very segregated. And, I mean, some of it, some of it is by design. But some of it is just like the uh, the different cultures that kind of stick to their same areas. Um, so there's there's just a uh, I guess just way more stratification in Los Angeles than there is in New York, and it, that's it's definitely very very tan- it's a much much more tangible thing. Like the um, I mean it is a melting pot, but like I guess the the there's a more tangible tension between the uh, the different cultures and things of that nature than there is in New York. Yeah, the thing about San Diego, though, is that there's a lot of racists in San Diego. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's also very stratified as well. Yeah, for um, sure. California's and, just like that. Yeah. I mean, for as much of a melting pot as it is, I mean, San Francisco is the same way. Like, it... it, it it's very socioeconomically segregated and culturally segregated still. And all those groups are forced to interact with each other. But like I said, um, like where they set up home base, it's, it's very segregated still. Yeah, I don't like San Francisco, which might be a hot take. I personally just don't like the city very much. I've only been one time. I, I had a good time when I went. I went when I was 18. I went up there for a fucking rave, so <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah, it's not like I... Uh, I went and saw everything that San Francisco has to offer, so I don't really have much of a take on it from there. I've only been in, like, downtown and Market Street and shit like that. Yeah, I mean, I have some friends who live up there, and they keep saying that I should come out there, so maybe I'll give it a a longer chance at some point, but I don't completely get it. 
if you're not staying in San Francisco, you can't even, like, get back into the city at, like, 11 at night. It's so stupid. I was staying with my friend in Oakland, and we couldn't get from city to city after 11. It was the dumbest thing ever. Um, so I guess the, the last question here is, all things considered, right now you're living in L.A. Mm-hmm. Would you rather live in L.A. or San Diego right now? I want to keep making the money that I'm making in L.A. and then take it down to San Diego when I'm comfortable and feel good about it. That sounds like a good plan. Yeah, L.A. is a good place to make money, man. People people flock to this city for a reason. Yeah, I, I'm going to move back out west soon. Like, I, I feel it. I have the taste because I've been East Coast my entire life and then I lived in San Diego for a while. I I just liked it better out west. Football is so much better out west. Games don't end at stupid hours. It's just like, yep. it's the bomb. It's awesome. Oh, that, that's what I tell everybody, like, Starting the NFL Sundays at 10 o'clock in the morning and it's done at 8 o'clock at night is like the best shit ever. Primetime games, starting at 5.30, being done at 8.30, like, it's not eating into your entire night. If it's on a, like a week, like a Friday night or whatever, you can still go out after a primetime game. It's not fucking 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, the, the, uh, the time difference is definitely in our favor, I feel like. Oh, most definitely. That's it for this episode of the Hammer Time Podcast. Uh, we went a little bit long, but there was a lot to discuss, so I'm, I'm fine with going long. Eric, thank you so much for joining. All right. Until next time, Ethan. Thanks for having me on, man. Until next time. And to you, listener, thanks for listening. Share this podcast. Do all the things. Until next time, we'll talk to you later.